You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. My name is Benaz, and I have here with me an awesome guest, Dr. Dillon Canterbury. He's a board-certified geriatric pharmacist. He founded Geriatrics with the Rx at the end, an awesome and unique uh, telehealth-based senior care consulting which uh, company, which you really need, especially in that population where he combines pharmacogenomics testing in comprehensive medication management and addresses social determinants of health, um, such as food, shelter, financial stability, health literacy, which is really important uh, as we want people to know why they're taking their medications, how the best way to take their medication and what to look out for. So that's really key. And he helps patients who are struggling to achieve their healthcare goals, reduce healthcare expenses, and of course, uh, we know reducing medication er- errors and advocating for de-prescribing, like what uh, Dillon does exactly, improves patient safety and saves patients and their families and saves the healthcare system money. So he manages patients across the state of North Carolina. Um, he's also an, um, an executive board member of African-American Minority COVID Task Force in Durham, North Carolina, which is a formulary committee member of senior pharmacist, farm assist at the Durham Senior Center for Life. And he also serves on Community Health Coalition's uh, telehealth director, helping older African-American patients with wellness and reassurance checkups during COVID. So what I wanna know, and thanks for coming on the show, I wanna know, do you sleep or do you have a social life after all the stuff you do? I think that's what I wanna know in this podcast. Yeah. And then we'll get into it. But thank you for coming on the show. So I'll, I'll let you in- introduce yourself, see if you do anything more than what I just said. Oh man, uh, thank you so much, Benaz, and for having me on today. Um, yeah, I wonder if I sleep as well. I think I sleepwalk through some of these meetings sometimes. But you know, you just gotta when you're coming from a place of passion, it really doesn't feel like work. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here and just share my story. Yeah, we love to hear, hear your story. So um, I noticed uh, you do different things on your website, which is really cool. How you break them down into they can make consultation appointments with you for drug cost analysis, risk assessment, and opioid de-prescribing. So you have them kind of all categorized where each section is a is a thing. So do you want to kind of uh, maybe go backward and see how you got to where what you're doing and how you got here and uh, incorporating PGX into what you're doing as well? Yeah. I want everyone to know about you. <laughs> Everything uh, there is to know. What time you wake yeah, up in the morning? Right. I'm just kidding. 
Uh, I like long walks on the beach, uh, you know. Um, but no, um, honestly, it's <laughs> been it's been quite a ride. Um, I've been a pharmacist uh, since 2014 and finished up from UNC Chapel Hill School of Pharmacy and got into the community retail setting. You know, it was frankly the only job I could get. Did not get a residency, and, and that's fine. Um, but really, I ended up just getting very burned out at a, at a young age, especially when you're a pharmacy manager at a 24-hour store and a specialty pharmacy. It, it really does take a toll on you after a while. And for me personally, I just felt that I kept seeing the same patients with the same problems. And they were either geriatric or older patients, or they were minority patients. And a lot of those questions that they have, I can answer, but I just never felt I had the time and the energy to do so. And so after a while, <clears throat> apart from just being burned out, I got very depressed. I got very anxious and super just down on the field of pharmacy in addition to myself. I hated myself. I really felt I was a part of the problem. And so I started thinking, what are some ways I can escape this literal hell for me to really serve people outside of the four walls of a retail pharmacy chain. And so this led me to volunteering and getting back to service and working with nonprofits like Senior Pharmacist, um, which encouraged me to see what pharmacists can do outside of dispensing. And it's amazing. I didn't know anything about Medicare or what qualifier Medicare beneficiaries meant and how we can really navigate the system for patients outside of just here's a good RX coupon. And there's so many more options out there. Um, so if you don't have the time and energy to do it, you're not gonna usually do it. And this is where I felt, okay, I don't wanna be a part of the problem or I myself am personally burned down. This is no slight to retail at all, but I can't do this forever. I'm dying on the inside, I'm not even happy. And so you asked about social life. I did not have one for the last five, six years. <laughs> um, and so I just felt, okay, I'm gonna do some volunteer work and see what I can do to help people further. And so we ended up launching geriatrics after I stepped down from my pharmacy manager position with Walgreens. <clears throat> and literally within two or three months, we had this amazing case, this geriatric 80 year old woman, young as can be in spirit, literally was on 36 medications, okay? Three, six. That's crazy insane. Oh, like, what on earth is going on? Nightmare. <clears throat> and her caregiver was characterizing her as being a literal walking zombie, okay? I mean, literally just not even responsive, just dazed, confused, and had a slew of side effects, um, like chronic constipation, confusion, irritability, um, and frankly, her quality of life was poor. It was just terrible. And this is what happens when she's left one or two nursing homes and basically good old clinical inertia is like, well, she's on it, so let's just leave it on. And they came to us with geriatrics and said, hey, look, what can we do? We think it's the meds. We don't know where to go. How can you help us? Not only did we come up with a plan with her provider, to get her down from 36 meds to eight medications, but we were also able to represent her in court and make sure that her family doesn't involuntarily commit her into a nursing home because they had people thinking it's, it's really just her and not the meds. 
And so we were able to save this family well over six figures because of that intervention, not only getting her life back, but resolving her symptoms and really getting her back to her, her baseline, her square one. So that to me was like God's sign of saying, hey, look, Delon, this is what you have to do. You have to help people and advocate for them and consult, which is what led me to starting geriatrics today. Yeah, and, you, and you'd be amazed at what, how common the story that you just described are, but we don't even see those people because a lot of um, <clears throat> older adults, we see them either come pick up their prescription at the pharmacy or they have caregivers that pick them up or Walgreens, for example, or any other community pharmacy delivers for them. Uh, the people that you don't see that are homebound, like we will, we will never be able to tap into that market or on um, that market, but you know, those population to be able to have what you just described. And so it's sad that, um, especially for older adults that have this issue. And so we need someone like you to kind of advocate for them and help them out because not only are you, are you saving their family, you're saving them, you're saving money for them. Um, it, it hears the quality of life they're going to have better than what they had before. I mean, that's just crazy. 36 medications and yeah. probably I, I bet you more than half it was not necessary. And you're right. There's so she probably had she or he probably had seen so many physicians. One did not want to, you know, step over the other person's toes and just continue something. And if it's not doing any harm, the one just not, you know, continue it. So it's just a really difficult spot to be in trying to kind of manage a patient like that. And you either a caregiver or a family member, you don't even know, which is why the health literacy comes into play. So that's awesome what you're doing. Thanks. It really is. It, it, it really is. Is I wish you, we could clone you for not just um, North Carolina, <laughs> you know? I wish I could clone myself, trust me. <laughs> yeah, but so how do you incorporate um, PGX or how do you sell that piece when you're sitting sure. with, I'm assuming mostly patients are your clients versus providers. Is that correct? Or both? It's a mixture of both, but I, I strategically target uh, patients first. Um, strategically, so, I like it. We might have to have a side conversation about that. No. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So absolutely. I, I believe it's long overdue that we're not loud and proud about the uses of pharmacogenomic testing and, and genetic testing and precision medicine. It, it's actually like laughable. <laughs> there are like the few of us who are really out here telling people about this amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it did get a bad rap at first. You know, people thought it was snake oil, just another way to get a sale. And <clears throat> initially, providers were hesitant to use it widely. But things have changed now. Not only is it more accessible, we have more lab testing out there but it's a bit more cheaper. And so when things are cheaper and insurance is paying for it, why aren't we using it? And so as a part of our comprehensive medication review, we incorporate pharmacogenic testing into our MTM model. Uh, in addition to, of course, talking about those social barriers. And so we do med reviews. We look for anything that may have a genetic implication. Uh, you know, your, your common drugs that go through 2D6, 3 4 et cetera, the whole nine. <clears throat> and we work with labs to get the testing done and we're able to give this report so patients can have an idea of what they are taking and maybe should not take uh, because of that report. And the beauty about this is not only are we educating our caregivers and providers, but we're also making it a team-based effort that I feel our healthcare is lacking in a bit. 
and showing that there are clinical utilities to this well beyond of just a medication drug review. Right, exactly. It, is, it really is a team effort. And so um, I think all healthcare disciplines need to come together and sort of do, do things separately. Because for example, I have a grant with um, one of the universities here with me an occupational therapist and a mental health provider. So there's a pharmacist, mental health provider, occupational therapist, we're all working together mm -hmm. uh, with this grant to help, you know, exactly do what you're doing with older adults, over 65, homebound, edu really education is just key. And so how are you able to educate um, providers specifically? Because I know that that they're also missing that educational piece as well. You'd be amazed at how many uh, healthcare providers out there, physicians don't even know about PGX. So are you hosting like webinars for them? Are you meeting with them in person? How are you getting that um, you know piece of education across? So it yeah. it sinks in, I guess, if you want to call it, because it really it's a different language for them to yeah. understand. They're set in their way, especially when yeah. it comes to mental health. Like I think that's where PGX. Of course, there's cancer and other um, places that it's useful, but you know I'm more focused on mm -hmm. mental health, especially with older adults. So how do you see yourself or how are you doing the education piece for providers that's really um, making a difference? Yeah, I mean, my model does start with patients, but what I've found to be helpful, we're really conducting demos for practices. And so, and working in some mental health clinics similar to you and substance abuse clinics, I'm able to give a rundown of how those gene differences can help with potentially de-prescribing opioids or, or customizing our pain regimens. And so it starts with an open dialogue one, but it also starts with, what are you doing to show them the money? Like show them that this is useful. They already have enough headaches, it's COVID. They need things that are kind of quick and easy to understand. And so apart from just kind of telling them, hey, I'm Delon, I do this, you gotta work with them and you gotta show them how this can save your patients money headache and save you the hassle of dealing with potentially a side effects that could have been completely avoidable. Um, anxiety and depression is a great starting point. So I've found it helpful to reach out to psychiatrists, uh, social workers. I'm actually just like you, it's crazy, but I'm going to talk about that grant, by the way. But I'm actually mm -hmm. <laughs> about to partner with a physical therapist who does med reviews as well. She likes holistic care. And so we have to get out of our heads a little bit you know, as pharmacists, not just think it's only this and that. Like there's so many other mm -hmm. providers that can do this. I even have plans to work with dentist offices. So when they're prescribing these codings to 12 year olds, which still shouldn't be happening, at least maybe we can talk about, hey, you can be that one dental office who does a, a genomics test before they get their annual. And, and, you know, that could be a value added benefit for everyone, because I honestly see a lot of errors from those narcotics that come from dentist offices. And that's where you may have some, I'm allergic to that or this. And we can have a better understanding potentially with a gene report that can help with that. So you have to be creative, but you also have to be a little bit more of a teacher. So you have to have a little bit of patience because you're gonna get all the pushback. You're gonna get a little bit of hesitancy and that's okay. But we have to start with how has this already helped patients and what's the evidence saying about it? Yeah, and you talk about the at the dental office. It's, it's pretty. Um, actually, I didn't think about this until you said it. That that's true. We should not, you know, just focus on mental health or primary care or things like that. Because any 
any one of them can get patients that are, have a list of medications that they can use a PGX as a tool to kind of guide therapy or share. Right. And, you know, at a dental office, they actually do a cancer screening, uh, the gums or whatever they do, the tongue, they check the cancer screening mm -hmm. in there. So that could be, that's an added service they have. Um, the only problem is that I see in, you know, you can, um, you know, say what you think about that as well is when it comes to insurance purposes, because if you pay out of pocket, it's, it's not cheap, mm -hmm. right. but if you haven't, if you have insurance that can maybe pay for that service, you have to have clinical indication of why you're doing a PDX. So for example, I think it's a great idea that it should be offered as a service and people have that option to do it there. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just thinking, uh, let's say if an insurance company most of them are needing the clinical indication as to why that has been done because mm -hmm. it, it's mostly mental health panel. Most of them, per, you know, cover. So what would be, you know, the insurance coverage piece would be an issue because the copay is high. So it's really trying to figure out where, which setting to use it and how that works for the patients because of the copay is, is the issue. But yeah, definitely anywhere you can use it is key. But do you, do you know what I mean? Like, does that come across um, kind of challenging in that piece? Oh, yeah. It can, it can be a barrier at times, um, especially depending on which, you know, lab you may be working with. They may have different um, sliding scales on how they may charge patients. So when you're billing insurance, you know, it can come up to a huge $3,000 bill. But generally, if you have Medicare, TRICARE, or Medicaid, for at least the majority I've worked with, they completely pay for it for free. Now that excludes Medicare Advantage plans, but the companies I work with so far, the mm -hmm. kit itself generally at most is three fifty out of pocket, and you know for some that may be too much, and that's completely fine. The beauty is some of these yeah. programs have again financial assistance programs, and you can apply for them before you even get the kit, and the range then is anywhere from zero bucks to. 100 and at most it's usually zero. So even though there may be some of those barriers for sure, getting that coverage to at least get the kit is, is doable before uh, 10 years ago, we couldn't even have this conversation. That's true. And some people can actually add that to their HSA, a health savings account. Yeah. Um, so that that's yeah. another piece. So it's just really being creative in ways to, um, figure that piece out if you really want to do it. Cause you know, if, if I was going through cancer, God forbid, or if I had some, you know, extensive mental health, like if I'm just going to pay 300 some dollars to figure that out to get to a better place sooner, increase the quality of my life. I think that's worth it because we spend much more at, at different times, $10, $30 copay. If you add them up uh, 10 times, you go to the doctor, that's already 350, but the lump sum, I think we don't see it that way. So it's just kind of um, putting it into perspective, I think is key. Yes. You so, want people who want to invest in their health as well. But yes. I see it as if you're going to go to a doctor's office and get your labs drawn, this is just as important as getting your blood work. You got to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And frankly, our therapies are cleared by these dreams. So we have to know if you are a super rapid metabolizer or poor or normal or intermediate and how we can tweak them before... I mean, just for an example, I had a patient last week about doing a PGX consult, and we found out that if she were to have kidney failure, she would not be able to tolerate tacrolimus. She was a, a rare metabolizer of CYP385, and it was just like, oh, I don't see that too often, but 
Mm-hmm. It was crazy because she had a family history of where her father had a head of kidney transplant. She was like, wow, I didn't think about this, but my dad failed his kidney transplant like after a couple of months. And it, I mean, we don't know, but maybe he had that same gene, that same genotype. And it's just crazy to understand that. Can you imagine that kidney could have been better cared for had we had known that in advance? Like how much money goes into transplant, right? How much mm-hmm. money goes into that patient's well-being and quality of life, all being assessed um, from things that we can use uh, preventively. So I think the cost savings needs to be hopefully better shown to providers that can see that this is just not going away. This is the future of healthcare. Oh, yeah. And presenting it exactly how you did and, you know, talking that way, I think is key for the value it has, because you pay that only one time. The 350 that you're talking about, you pay that only one time. It's not like a monthly or yearly thing because your genes don't change, right? So it's a one-time uh, thing you have to pay, yeah. but then you you can carry that with you everywhere you go, just like your med list that you're supposed to have in your pocket, you know, that we don't, but you know, th- that's pretty cool. And that education piece, I think is more, it's got more value than anything else. So you can sit here and say, you know, and I tell this to the pharmacist that I, that I coach, like, don't focus so much on the money that you, you know, how much money can I get or the consult fee, just add value to the person that's in front of you. That could be a patient, that could be a provider, sure. the education that you're going to provide, the value you're going to bring, it, it will bring money back. The, the value is what people pay for, not, uh, and not anything else. So that's where the main focus should be. So, but uh, speaking of that, do you have collaborative agreement um, pro- like contracts with providers or you just, because the only reason I say that is sometimes you need that depending on your setting or your yes. state requirements when you want to make changes to a medication or you just recommend a change or discontinuation and just send that along to the provider and have them decide what they want to do with that. Yeah, great question. Um, some states do require it. In North Carolina, I don't have to have it. I generally just make a health action plan based on my recommendations and I let the provider make the decision. So I, I can become a collaborative practice. You know, there, one, there are two things, right? You could be a CPP, which is a clinical pharmacy practitioner, where you can then legally work in collaboration with a doctor and change meds and order labs, all that stuff. I don't do that. I just create recommendations. And I can do it with collaborative practice agreements, like you mentioned. Um, as of now, I don't have to so far, uh, but that is a goal of mine in the future whenever it comes to some of these bigger practices that I'll, I'll likely need that. So you don't have to have it. That's the thing. You don't have to have it. You can still do this and not have those established. Um, but some states, of course, may require it. So you want to check with your board of pharmacy and see if the new laws mandate that. Yeah, that's great. And so when you send your medication action um, plan, I think that's what you call it, right? Or did I just make up that word? Oh, yeah, that's right. A medication action plan, you send it along to the provider, either, you know, a way of emailing or faxing, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. Do you hear back from them? How do you know the um, medications were changed or they got your fax or, you know, they made any kind of change basically? Because, you know, that's what we, with the grants right now, when uh, we make our recommendation, we fax it to the provider and say who we are, what we're doing. This is, we talk to your patient. This is what we recommend. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's one, two, three. You know, we recommend this to be changed or discontinued, whatever. Do you agree? Do you not agree? And, you know, just kind of things like that and then have them fax that phone back. So, of course, they don't all fax it back. So we're just sit there wondering, OK, did they do it without telling us? Did they even get our fax? Like, did they talk to the patient and make those changes? So we have to do the follow up. So I wonder where what you do with that piece of it. For sure. Great. Um, so it is constant contact. I know it's a contact sport for sure. You have to constantly be on people when it comes to follow ups. But I usually assess through the patient. So I, I make sure the patient has it. I encourage them, if they can, to reach out to the doctor. If they can, put it in their portal if their healthcare system allows for it. That way the document is on file. Um, I am still very much local from North Carolina. So if it comes down to it, I will make a doctor's office visit, which I've done before. Just nice. Sure, I like that. Just to make sure they get that full picture. And if they have time, I'll do a demonstration in office for them. See, this, this is the continuity we need. And I can't do this dispensing by five pills at a time, putting labels on stuff. <laughs> like, this is like the level of care I know we as pharmacists have. It's our superpower. We super mm-hmm. care and we know how to save you money. And we have the expertise to help with medication management. So this level of dedication I offer for my patients, which is why I more so offer a concierge service. So it's like you have me on retainer and you have a lawyer on retainer. That's my model. So that's the level of care I take. If they don't hear back from me in a week or two, I'm going to go to their office and say, hey, here's what it is. That's awesome. And that's where that value comes in that you provide because it's it's priceless, really. So hopefully you'll come in my state and do that. Yeah, man. I'm just saying. I'll send my phone over. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, uh, I know we talk, we got... You know, we talk about the payment and payment model and things like that when I focus on value. But I know pharmacists are sometimes struggling as to how would they get paid or how do they, uh, you know, not necessarily what price to put on. Because, you know, that's really personal. What your time and all the knowledge that you gain, what's that worth to you? You know, that's a separate piece. But how do you advise other pharmacists that they can actually um, gain uh, income out of doing maybe if they were to do something like yours, like how, how would they even do that? Like what, what advice do you have for pharmacists trying to start something like you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely recommend if you're going to go into this journey to get some type of coach, whether it be pharmacy coach or business coach, or just follow Banaz because she's just as amazing. I mean, talk to people who are in this space and there are multiple models I have personally found that the cash payer model um, is not just more lucrative for me, but it gives me more flexibility as well. And so if I find that I'm having more demand, I can simply increase the price. Or you know, I, if I find that <clears throat> there may be a barrier for a patient financially, I could reduce it just for the sake of helping them out because I want them to have the service. You know, like I think that luxury is, is just really good to have. Now, there are models where you can work with doctor's offices directly and just kind of be on staff and do all the work for them under a set number of hours. Um, that still requires you pretty much going in or remotely or whatever, clocking in. But when I tell patients about this or pharmacists who consider this type of model, um, it's definitely not for the week. Uh, so definitely <laughs> have some type of financial plan or savings lined up if you can. And I want us to get out of our head of, you know, I made this amount of money per hour 
So I'm just going to charge like, I don't know, 20 bucks more than that for an hour. No, like get out of that old way of thinking. This is about the value we bring. You've already dedicated what? Eight, six years of your life to schooling, then maybe residency. Like you have a wealth of expertise. So at this point, you are an expert. So let people pay for your presence and let them pay for your expertise. Don't get stuck in this the mindset of, well, I'm just going to do this hourly for like 50 bucks, 60 bucks here because it's, I want to, no, like the value of what you offer is so much more. So that's why I stick to the cash pay your role. And I do more of a concierge retainer service for people. That, that's awesome. Yeah, you're exactly correct. So because we're not really taught taught that in school business mind, we're more, I'm not right. talking about every pharmacist, of course, you know, sure. but most of us are coming out with just a clinical mindset, you know, and then we go into, if you're in, we're in community setting, we're dispensable to uh, anyone just walks right up and just give our, um, you know, clinical judgment or advice without thinking like we spend for at least four years, if not longer, gaining that insight, but we just give it freely and don't think there's value. There, There is a lot of value in that. And so I think just like any other profession that you name, like lawyers, things like that, we, we use their service and sometimes they're like three or $400 an hour, but we know they have the insight, they have the knowledge, they got the schooling. So that's valuable to us and they do a good job. And, you know, you're right about the coaching, getting a coach, whether it's um, a PGX consultant coach or a um, business coach. The only reason being that you save a lot of time trying to go through what, what, like, for example, I've gone through already. So why not save that months or years of going through all that and just have someone, um, you know, teach you the way. So that that's really helpful as well. So, but yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate you um, doing what you do because I think, you know, I'm, I, I have a thing for old people, you know, older adults, <laughs> the technical term, because yeah. really they don't really have a voice. They think everything's oh. happening to them is normal. They think depression and anxiety and being slow and whatever else you want to name it, it's yeah. normal part of aging. It doesn't have to be, no. and they don't have to be on all these tons of medication and, they just really feel like not heard when they go to doctor's offices. I mean, I can talk till tomorrow about this. It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. And especially the homebound uh, older adults that you yeah. don't even get to see. Right. Um, so that's, that's where my focus is on mostly. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. So if you have any uh, advice for um, pharmacists that don't just are in school in their last, uh, year, because um, I know most of the rotations are uh, probably hospital or um, their community and things like that. What avenue can they go into? Because there's not a lot of PGX um, rotations out there. I mean, I know I'm a preceptor for a school, but I don't think there's a lot out there. So how can they learn more about PGX and where can they go? And like, you know, if, if imagine you were on your last year of pharmacy school Right. And you, I told you all this stuff. How would you even go about doing what you're doing? Cause you know, people just want to like you and I probably, they, we just want to get a job, pay our loans down, get the experience. So you and I both took Walgreens. I mean, Walgreens great. Not saying anything bad about it, but you know, um, so what would you recommend if you would go to back and advise you, you being the last year pharmacy school? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> there, there are two things that have gotten me to this point. 
Um, I will say the first thing has been servant leadership. Do not do this for the money. Do not do this for the title. Like you need to be in this to serve people, one. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm a pharmacist, I already do. Like, no, let's be real. We're all in it for a job sometimes. And so just know where you are at, okay? Be, be real with yourself. But if you're not serving, then you may be in the wrong field. That's just how I feel, one. Two, <clears throat> I will say that networking has definitely helped my business grow and, and just really seeing how you can be of value to someone. So you don't have to do the whole linear path of like, let me add all these alphabets after my name to get to this point. You can literally just start networking now. LinkedIn should be your best friend if it isn't already. And so if there are people that you, you know, it's inspired you or want to be like, start connecting with them on LinkedIn and just create a dialogue, you know, try to just establish what you are interested in and offer those, your services to other people. And I can easily say that my service to my community has vastly grown my, my practice. So, and that was all like without expecting anything to happen. It's just like suddenly things fell into place. Like now I have grant writers who are talking about what can we do to get things rolling with marginalized communities and pharmacogenetic testing. You know, like I never saw myself being on one, this amazing podcast, but I found Thank that you. Thank you. I know, but for real, but seriously, serving. <laughs> no, and, and, and that's right. That's part of networking. Yeah. So I would never have been able to find you and have a connection before this and yeah. you know, have these conversations, know all this amazing thing you're doing. If, you know, if you weren't putting yourself out there on LinkedIn, right. I wasn't doing the same and we we're connecting and yeah, it's all about networking. So I'm grateful to have met someone like you on, on that um, social media platform. Yeah, man, I can easily say the same. Even in being featured on your, your mastermind for pharmacogenomics was, was amazing. So it's just kind of fulfilling to see that there, there are people out there who have that same energy and passion. So just take off the pharmacy blinders for a minute. That's my advice because we all mm -hmm. have them on at some point. Take them off and start seeing things from a different perspective. And that is, what is your value? What can you bring to people? What do you love to do? Even if it's outside of pharmacy, what do you love to do and go for it and just start networking like crazy? It goes, it goes such a long way. It does. And I appreciate you being here and giving your two or three cents. Normally you say two cents, you have three cents. <laughs> <laughs> I, I we really do. I appreciate everything you do. I know I do. Um, and like just reading probably a quarter of what you do. That's awesome and amazing. I know you do so much for a lot of people. You change lives. You probably don't even know it. You probably do, but some, you know, they don't come back and tell you, but you've made a lot of changes. So I appreciate you being here. And then one other thing that I always tell pharmacists, uh, I try to tell them at the end of every conversation. So it kind of sticks there in the, in the mind is when you look at a PGX um, report, like how you're doing, you go through the medication therapy management, you sit down and go through all their medications, drug, drug interaction, lifestyle management. You got to have that piece with the PGX in addition. You can't look at a PGX raw data and make clinical judgment. You have to know the patient behind that piece of paper because mm -hmm. you can have someone, their PGX reports say, you know, they're a poor metabolizer of this and that enzyme. But you can't just be like, oh my gosh, now I have to take them off these medications. They may just be doing fine. It's just mm -hmm. another tool to use. Exactly. So that's the piece that I want to make sure that everyone knows. And I'm sure you agree with that because you, you know, I've seen it. Like you are intermediate or poor metabolizer of some 
you know, enzyme that's a medication is using, but they're doing fine. It doesn't mean you have to change it. So that's also key. And then sharing the PGX report, educating providers and patients to share that report they get with all other clinicians, like have it in their pocket. I think some labs, they actually have a little cute little pocket piece at the end that you can print out your genetic report or maybe it should be a thing that I should create. I don't know. Or you can create um, that they can carry with them where where they go. You know, that that's, that's, that'll be really awesome. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. spot on. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you and I appreciate you coming on. Anytime. Look forward to talking more about us. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Thank you. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.